it's an amazing community and they, they don't deserve to be paid for the way that they're paid. They deserve to be paid for the work they do. Um, and the, the uh, pandemic certainly highlighted that. And now it's starting to fade, which is good in so many ways. But it's also, you know, it takes this topic off the headlines and uh, we need to keep it there. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and we're continuing the theme this week of EMS is slightly in a pickle. Actually, those were the, my opening words of my opening session of this year's Pinnacle Conference. We're in a pickle. We need to sort ourselves out. But I'm going to focus firstly on an amazing film that came out uh, a little while ago called Honourable But Broken. And it's actually by documentary producer Bryony Gilby. And she's here to join me. And also, just to give us a little bit of balance and also talk about the the, the realities of EMS today, I have my returning guest and good friend, uh, Matt Zavadsky, who is the Chief Strategic Integration Officer from MedStar in Fort Worth. Uh, welcome, both of you. Nice to be here, Rob. Excellent. So, Bryony, I've watched Honourable but Broken a number of times now, and uh, it's on Vimeo, it's on all of those social media outlets, and we'll make sure it goes into the show notes. But first of all, give us the, the backstory to Honourable but Broken, part one, and part two, tell us your own story and how you became involved. Uh, we have an amazing volunteer ambulance corps in our town, Chappaqua Volunteer Ambulance Corps. And my children, all three of my children volunteered while they were in school and one still, still is in school. And they, this community just supported them. And I became uh, involved in that through them. And then when my oldest daughter became an EMT, she's now a paramedic, but just talking to her through the pandemic and she was working, it just occurred to me that it was a very, there's a disconnect between her responsibilities and her exposure to various situations and dangers between that and her pay. Um, Again, she was very young, but there was a particular incident where she responded to a double stabbing at a house and the police and fire were reluctant to go in because they didn't have proper PPE couldn't clear the scene. The whole house had COVID. And I'm thinking, this, this people make a nice salary. My daughter makes $14 an hour. And uh, I began to look into it. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I started talking to people who were at uh, CVAC. And um, they put me in touch with other people in our county, Westchester County, New York. Um, and as people became aware of what we were talking about and and putting the film together as a concept, they started to trust that what we were doing was not kind of a gotcha concept, but more of a let's take a really honest look at what's going on here and advocate and educate. Um, Because I can honestly say as somebody that isn't in EMS, I had no idea what was happening in EMS. 
And that is something that I am desperate to remedy. Excellent. And what I like about uh, the, you know, the, the four and a half minutes you've produced already, is it is reality. It's realism. It's not somebody walking in slow motion from a burning building carrying a cat or whatever that we, we tend to see, you know, in some of these other, you know, sort of productions that try and attract people potentially under false pretenses into the job that we do, which is to care for people. Uh, Bryony, carry on, though, and talk about your own backstory, because you are in the, the film industry, as it were, as a producer. And so, you know, had, and also you may detect another English accent. So when we do come on to Matt later on, he'll realise he's totally outnumbered. But, uh, you know, h- how did you get here and what do you do for a living? Originally, I came over, did my master's degree in uh, international relations yeah, in New York City. And I got in um, to media after that. I have a really strong policy background, which you can probably hear in my passion for this subject. But most of my career I spent at CBS News uh, working at 60 Minutes, uh, both in New York and in London. And then I got into documentaries a little bit when I, one of my children were young, did a pretty uh, piece for uh, PBS, American Masters on Harper Lee. Um, just really loved the format. There's a very, print journalism is wonderful, but something about having the visual to go with that. Um, is is even more powerful for me. And I always take the uh, Don Hewitt line of tell me a story as the best way to present an issue and get people to watch and relate to the story from their own, you know, from their own perspective. So that's a little bit about my background. My partner, co-producer Rich Diefenbach, was also hard news producer and works. At, he's actually deputy bureau chief for uh, CBS LA. So the two of us have hard news backgrounds. That's where we're about, you know, an honest deep dive into kind of you know a gap analysis, if you will, of what's going on in EMS. And it was very hard actually to narrow down. There's so many tangents that you can go off on in EMS. And there's so many issues, but we really wanted to stay true to that core of, um, as Matt said in the in the teaser, the, the economic model and the funding mechanism and address that. And this is where I bring Matt in. And Matt, I, I think you'll agree with me that uh, Bryony, with her background, is the absolutely perfect person to tell our story and many stories we have. But uh, NAMT, the board of NAMT, shall I say, were clearly willing participants in, uh, as, as Bryony calls it, the teaser but I want to throw a few of the quotes from your NEMT board members at you and, and you know, talk about the realities. Obviously, this was recorded a few months ago, but, uh, you know, you came on and as Bryony just pointed out, you know, Zavadsky said one of the biggest challenges is the funding mechanism. We're not out of the woodwork. I think we're deeper into the woods. Uh, you know, what's your assessment so far? Oh, absolutely, Rob. And, you know, this is a a drum that we've been beating for a long time. The reality is, though, that the economic conditions that we are in today with dramatically increasing personnel costs and dramatically increasing supply costs and dramatically increasing capital costs has really exacerbated the issue. So something that we thought we may have had two or three years to try and rectify has now happened in two or three months. So I know in our organization, MedStar in Fort Worth, we've increased wages for our field staff 48% in 12 months. And most EMS agencies around the country are doing that. I, while we're on this podcast, I'm actually here in North Carolina. And you may know that uh, Wake County did a 28% increase. And then their neighboring county had to do a 42% wage rate increase just to keep their employees. And and this economic model just isn't going to work anymore. 
and you've got states and, and other payers that have not raised their rates. We've got balanced billing issues. We've got Medicaid issues. And we are just, we're not, we're no longer in the perfect storm. Uh, we are now in the, the cycle of, of what we call circling the drain, uh, where unless something happens pretty quickly, EMS agencies are going to, and they are beginning to close up shop and just go away. Well, of course, I'm going to plug my own podcast because about two months ago, I had the folk from Durham on talking about their uh, getting a standard living wage show. And of course, one of the offs- one of the knock-ons from that was that uh, whilst they achieved their aim, of course, that then caused almost a Cold War-like scenario where everybody else had to up their, their yeah. game. You know, in a real Cold War, you make a big submarine, we make bigger submarines they had to raise the stakes in order to keep to keep the people another line which i think we just need to explore uh, rural areas are an alarm bell sounding that was again from one of your guys matt i mean clearly that's something that's dear to all of our hearts yeah we've often said that the rural ems agencies are the canary in the coal mine and they've got long transport times long tra- task times heavily dependent on volunteers and those models just aren't sustainable. And unfortunately, many of them are in an economic environment where the counties might not be able to provide them funding. And they've really got to find some innovative ways to fund the appropriate level of services for rural communities. And Rob, you do an amazing job with the, the media log that you circulate out to the industry every week. And if you look at that log, and you know from reading it, that rural agencies are closing and that leaves communities with nothing because, by the way, their hospital closed a couple of years ago for the same reasons. And now what do those communities do? We've got a real access to care crisis going on across the country. And I'll come back to you in a minute, Matt, with a few more quotes from uh, from the program. But you're absolutely right. Canary in the coal mine, circling the drain. It sounds a bit dramatic, but actually, you know, you're spot on in your analysis. And uh, uh, we'll talk about uh, closures in a mon- in a moment. Bryony, I mean, we've already, if, if we were pitching you a story, the things that Matt have just said must be compelling. So, I mean, how in a longer than four minute teaser do you propose to tell our story? Well, we've, we've sort of broken the film down into four parts. The first part is looking at boots on the ground, what it's actually like to work in EMS. And we've had a number of people agree to help us with that. It's It's not an industry that is that likes to kind of expose what they do. But we, especially through OSINVAC, um, OVAC gave us tremendous access. And we've looked at the realities of the fact that it isn't just kind of go, 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 like you were saying, um, Rob, with, you know, sirens and cats being saved. But it is actually a lot of downtime, which is good for processing what you've seen. But it's also, you know, there's a lot of kind of, Downtime and then suddenly you're going and downtime and it and it's disruptive to um, your lifestyle, your sleep patterns, all of the above. So I'm getting off track. That was the most, um, you know, looking at that from a personal perspective um, was very key, kind of character driven. And then we looked at the situation in our county as a kind of, uh, you know, micro model of what is going on in the rest of the country. I expanded it to New York State, which by all logic, should have EMS as a mandated service and doesn't. And we talked to a senator who is a state senator who is desperately trying to get a bill through, you know, at the New York state level, mandate EMS, hasn't been voted on yet. 
Uh, and then we, we expanded out. As you said, uh, we went to EMS Day on the Hill and spoke to a number of people on the NAEMT board and across the country about what was happening in their states. Uh, so that's kind of how. And then we sort of we, we end the film with being a little bit more positive about some of, you know, some suggestions for what could be done, you know, it, both today and long term. So that's kind of the structure of the film. Uh, I think we've got some amazing people that have been interviewed as, you know, present company. It's, uh, yeah, it's really sort of a people-driven film, um, hopefully very relatable. But one of the things that uh, we're often criticised for is that we are often, it's, it is often said that we are terrible at telling our own story. But actually the storyline that you, and, and, and we're on video looking at each other, Matt smiling now, um, you know, but the storyline you have just painted for us is the perfect story that I immediately want to send to all of my elected officials to say, this is our lot. And, you know, funding mechanism, I'm going to come back to you, Matt, and something that Jim O'Connor from Empress had said on the video is that the cost of readiness, and it's one of those things where, you know, the patient thinks I'm only there for you for the 10 minutes to respond to you, and then the 50 minutes or eight hours, 50 minutes, if you get ramped up all time, um, and, and that's all I pay for. But of course, there is a cost of readiness, and sometimes we perhaps aren't good at conveying that to everybody from the feds to the insurance to everybody else, Matt. How can we how can we help Bryony tell that particular piece of the story if she so chooses to? Uh, Rob, that's a great comment. And Bryony, I got to tell you, you've done an amazing job with telling the story of the essential service concept. And Rob, this ties exactly into the cost of readiness. So the community the patient that we are about to respond to expects, and we'll have a whole separate conversation about community expectations, but they expect a reasonable response time, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it's going to be based on on your community. And in order to do that, we have to have a, a lot of capacity in the system, much like a fire department, much like a police department. But the funding model only pays if we respond and transport someone to the hospital. So the concept of an essential service means that we are going to have an ambulance in front of an address within X minutes. You fill in the, the slot there. And in order to achieve that, we need to have 70% of the personnel not on a call. And in order to support the cost of 70% of the people not doing something that's revenue generating means that the community has to pony up. They've got to pay for that. And that's a concept that we have a hard time telling because people don't think about us when we're posted behind a quick trip somewhere or we're in a fire station and nobody sees it, the ambulance there because the garage doors are closed or whatever. So... The one call that we will do in four hours, we need to generate enough revenue to pay for the three hours that the ambulance was ready to deliver a 10-minute response time. And oftentimes, that's what the communities are going to have to realize, that you know, if you wanted a two-hour response time for a 911 call, we can probably do that by calling someone in, so therefore we don't have a cost of readiness, but you're going to have some very unhappy taxpayers. So you're going to need to invest the taxpayers' dollars to deliver to them the service that they are willing to pay for. 
Now, again, that's a whole separate discussion about what are they willing to pay for and do you really want 10 minutes, 15 minutes, ALS, BLS, single response, unit only, ambulance, whatever. But that's the cost of writing this issue is that if you want capacity in the system to meet a prescribed response time, someone has to pay for the capacity because it's not going to be the, the third party payer or the patient because they it's a huge expense that's hard to justify sometimes. So in summary, something will give if somebody doesn't pony up. But before we go any further, don't forget, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and of course, Amazon Music. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to give us a rating and a review on the platform that you're listening to. And now, a message from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L. Com. Again, a thanks to our sponsor. We're back on EMS One Stop with my guests, Bryony Gilby and Matt Zavadsky. And Bryony, you, as we said at the start, you're looking to expand the, the, the product. You're looking to make this a little bit longer, a little bit more in depth. Um, and so what are you doing to achieve that? That's right. Um, it, just sort of bouncing off what Matt just said about funding, um, there's a real disconnect between what the public perceives EMS does and how they are paid and and how that actually works. And so part of what our film is trying to do is to bridge that gap and inform people that EMS is not paid the same way fire and police are. And to do that, we are putting this film together and we are trying to get a little bit of funding because right now it's totally self-funded. We've raised some money through the EMS community and we actually am really excited to announce that we are now uh, in a partnership with Prodigy EMS to work with them to uh, really put out an honest film with, um, and the money that's coming in from Prodigy will help us uh, buy, a num- buy external footage. Um, we talked about a number of news-related issues in the film, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting, for instance, that um, Juan Cardona responded to. Um, so this money will go towards buying footage from other networks that have that capacity to add real visual flavor to the film, perhaps put an original score to it, pay for distribution costs and uh, film festivals if we get to that point. Um, but yes, we're definitely still looking for uh, corporate sponsors, uh, hospital sponsors, medical industry sponsors. If they want to get involved, it's a really great cause. Um, we pride ourselves on being sort of a symbiotic you know, entity where the more people go on our social media sites and like our film and follow us and, and uh contribute, um, the better chance we have of being picked up by a major distributor um, and having some real, you know, exposure across the country on on a huge platform. So um, that's where we are now, uh, looking for followers, attention, and uh, a little bit more money would be great too. 
We just had the Hollywood quote-unquote blockbuster ambulance, but I suspect this is going to be the true ambulance story, and I, I look forward to, to making that. And yes, of course, I would be very excited that uh, you're partnering with Prodigy and the ability to outreach to now over 100,000 subscribers is, is exciting. So having heard uh, Bryony's kind of uh, essay on how she's going to roll this out, uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, you know, being able to tell our story to elected officials, policymakers, um, they are very visual people. They are responsive to community outrage, if you will. So to the extent that we are able to get funding for her project to get a high quality uh, video and story that that will energize communities, thereby energizing elected officials is really important. And honestly, if I were Boundary, if I were FirstNet, if I were Striker, if I were, you know, whoever, what I would be doing is saying, hey, if EMS gets more funding, then we're going to do better as well because they can afford more equipment, more supplies, more whatever. Um, so if you're from those organizations and you're listening, this is your call to arms to go to your your leaders and say, hey, we need to support this project because it's very synergistic. So one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about, Matt, uh, now that you're on, last week you may have heard I spoke to the good folk of uh, LA from AMR, very kindly, very graciously, spoke to me openly, frankly, honestly, about the economics of running an inter-facility transport service in LA. And quite simply, you know, it's the fact that if we're not, if we're not getting enough money in, we can't pay people out. It's a simple economic issue. Um, you know, and, and others have said to me, you shouldn't call EMS a business, but at the end of the day, it is a business because we have to make money to pay people. That said, Matt, uh, closures, as I reported last week, you know, are the bellwether of things to come. We've talked a little bit about rural, um, but obviously this is a major cause for concern and our politicians, elected officials and journalists should be sitting up and taking note of what's happened in L.A., what's yep. happened in uh, Washington State with our friends at Falk, and also what's happening elsewhere. I think you, you mentioned Youngstown as an example. So, uh, um, you know, talk to us about that. Sure. So I think really what the providers, you know, there's that old movie that says, hey, I'm sick and tired. I'm not going to take it anymore. And I think the providers are really starting to say, listen, we just don't need to do this and we're not going to do it. And we need to get somebody's attention. So things like you mentioned, Rob, in L.A. and upstate uh, Washington. But I would say almost the bigger issue is how does this impact access to care? And that's where you're going to start getting the attention of local communities and policymakers. So AMR's decision to pull out of Youngstown, Ohio, where they've been the provider for emergency and non-emergency service as an exclusive provider for years, primarily because they just can't afford it. And they've said, hey, okay, 120 days, we're out. Now that's an access to care issue in Youngstown, where if they leave, there is no provider. And to be quite frank, having worked with a number of communities around the country, no one's going to go in there without a subsidy. No one's going to go into a lot of these communities and purposely not be able to survive. So if you use Youngstown, we talked about the canary in the coal mine for the rural providers. Youngstown is probably now the urban canary in the coal mine that says, hey, uh, you know, we're just not going to do it unless you're willing to cover our million dollar a year loss. We just can't continue providing the service. And I loved the quote from one of the local elected officials in Youngstown when the reporter asked, hey, you know, would you guys be willing to go back and consider providing that subsidy to AMR to keep them in the community? And the, the response from the elected official was, yes, we are, if they're still willing to take it. 
um, you know, <laughs> if, if if there may be a decision where, you know, hey, we're willing to cover that loss. And maybe the provider says, ah, you know what, you, you weren't willing to before. I'm not so sure that you're our best partner. We're going to just move on. And good luck finding somebody else. Um, the more that happens, the more that hopefully essential service designation, as Brioni's video is going to talk about, will become um, the reality. And that we have to be able to pay for the cost of readiness. We have to be able to pay for that capacity. And that really means that just like this tax subsidy for fire, just like tax subsidy for police, tax subsidy for EMS is going to be crucial. Now, what I would say to the listeners is make sure you're talking to your public officials that if they're going to, to, to increase or if they're going to start providing a subsidy for your service, make sure that they are buying value. And, you know, if, if you've got others that are saying, hey, as long as you're going to fund it, I'm willing to do it, um, make sure that you've got some good data that shows, hey, if you fund this provider, it's going to cost X. If you fund a different type of provider, it's going to cost X to the third power. Make sure that you're using those public funds wisely, um, but public funding has got to happen. Wonderful. And uh, as you well know, Matt, for 10 years, I worked in a sister system, public utility, uh, 501c3 not-for-profit, which received a city subsidy because the cost of doing business was unaffordable otherwise. Go across a couple of counties into my sort of rural Virginia areas where traditionally um, the service had been provided by just a volunteer rescue squad. All of a sudden, volunteers and volunteerism started to disappear because, you know, that time is time is valuable. Um, and they went from shaking the boot outside the local supermarket, which was the traditional way to raise money, to going to the local board of supervisors to say, oh, by the way, we need more money because we now have to get some extra paid folk in. And the response is, well, hang on a second. That we've relied for the last 75 years on our volunteer rescue squad. Why can't you carry on doing this? This is one of those tradition things, right? Um, and there's no reality across, particularly, I think, rural areas. And Brian, this may well be, be the case in your area where the locally elected officials are all of a sudden going, Oh crap. I've now got to have a tax levy. I've got to think about doing the, that unheard of thing, which is actually build a patient because before our citizens are our citizens. We just gave them that free good because the volunteers were volunteering. And so there's a whole economic challenge that's being piled on to folk that ne- it's almost, they think, an unfunded mandate when it possibly should have been funded in the first place. Um, you know, is, is that your experience? You, you're out there in, in upstate New York, Bryony. Um, actually, downstate New York, um, but upstate definitely is facing some of these issues. As Senator Mayer was talking about, um, it's not an easy fix. But um, even here, I mean, we, we talked to somebody and actually a volunteer EMT in um, Pelham, which is a fairly wealthy, uh, you know, high octane suburb of New York City, um, and he he needed an ambulance, um, and nothing, no, no one was available for him, and so that's sort of a terrible indictment. If, if a wealthy community cannot afford to send an ambulance to its citizens in need, um, I, I, I you know shudder to think what's going on in the rural areas. But, um, you know, it brings me back to something that wasn't in the teaser, but something that that Matt said, which is um, it comes down to the question of not not how much is a life worth, a human life worth, but how much is it worth to an elected official? And I think um, that's where we need to go. That's where we need to 
you know, focus our advocacy. And I say we, like, I feel like I'm one of the communities You've already now, qualified so as a we, believe me. Keep talking. Okay, all right. Royal we. Because um, this certainly is an issue that I will be with, you know, well beyond the film. I think I've said that a couple of times. But, um, you know, these this it's an amazing community and they, they don't deserve to be paid um, for the way that they're paid. They deserve to be paid for the work they do. Um, and the the uh, pandemic certainly highlighted that, and now it's starting to fade, um, which is good in so many ways. But it's also, you know, it takes this topic off the headlines, and uh, we need to keep it there. Bryony, I've uh, watched the teaser trailer. We're going to put it in the show notes. But if people want to get in touch with you, as Matt so elegantly uh, did a shout-out to potential sponsors, how can they get hold of you? Absolutely. Uh, we can be reached through our social media pages. Um, it's hashtag honorable but broken uh, on Facebook and Instagram and hashtag honorable broken on Twitter, I do believe. Uh, reach out um, on any of those platforms and I will I answer pretty much immediately day of. You can also contact us through our fundraising page on for giving, number four giving. Yes, that's that's the, those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Wonderful. The entire EMS world and EMS audience know where you are, Matt, but just remind us. Well, I'm in North Carolina. That is the best answer of the day. This... <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, did you want more listening, This is not being cut out of the edit. Matt, how do we get in touch with you? <laughs> sure. Uh, easiest way is um, um, by cell phone, 817-991-4487, text, voicemail, carry, pigeon, whatever. Um, they auto-forward to Rob Lawrence. So um, just feel free to call that, especially after hours. And I do put my English butler's voice on when I answer your, your calls. Matthew isn't available to come to the phone. Please leave a message after the gong. <laughs> after the gong, yeah. There we go. Listen, uh, seriously, though, Bryony, what you've done is amazing. Uh, I think you've passed our audition to be able to tell our story honestly and truthfully and with passion and conviction and I commend you for that and I hope that we can now turn this into a bigger longer piece as Matt said and as I'm going to stick it in front of every elected official that we can find um, and we'll you know also take the sound bites I've already taken the sound bites from it from from the NEMT board which I think are just powerful in itself but I look forward to a longer version Uh, you know Rob I I think you said it tongue in cheek, but you know, without editorializing what Brian said, the you know, it's not what a what a, what is a life worth. It's what is a life worth to an elected official. I mean, that is, I think that's our bumper sticker. I think that's going to be the hashtag from this from the tweet of this show. And Brian, thank you for that because you know we spend Matt and I spend a lot of time on various hills in various states in the state in the national capital trying to tell our story, trying to convince those. And, and uh, as Matt knows, one of my keynote lectures is called Four Little Words, All Those in Favour, right? You have to count the vote before you go to the vote. And that requires a lot of legwork, a lot of time spent, uh, you know, I hate the word schlepping, but schlepping around, um, you know, the, uh, the, the the offices in order to win friends, influence people, and more importantly, affect those four little words, all those in favour. And so this will help us do oh, that. So, welcome. I mean, uh, I see myself you. as a sort of a poor man's John Stewart here, you know, on, on the steps of the Capitol. Um, but, but we need to be in their face until things are done. Talking, going from John Stewart to John Oliver, and, and we'll stick with my, my our British, because you're outnumbered here, Matt, by the way, you realise that Brian is also a, an expat like me. But, uh, you know, to be fair to the John Oliver 
um, story. They did come to us at AAA. They did, I think, talk to NEMT as well. And from what was going to be, I think, a hatchet job, we did get a chance to say, oh, hang on a second, step back. Just listen to our side of the story. And whilst, you know, it may have been perceived by some as an attack, at least we got to have a say and actually got to explain a little bit more to our producers. I think that uh, Bryony's story is going to be the exemplar of what our story is. And so, and Bryony, thank you for, you know, being telling some of it, but being prepared to tell all of it. And uh, that's excellent. My pleasure. And I really look, I really look forward to hearing from people on our, on our uh, social media platforms. Um, There's lots of stories that come out and lots of support. And I I appreciate each and every message. That's about all for now. You can follow me on LinkedIn and over on Twitter at UKRobL1, where I'm fairly active and uh, pushing out all of the great stories. And don't forget, uh, if you have a comment, as I've said before, please leave it on the comment page of the of the EMS1 site or indeed on any of the social media platforms that I'm on. So this has been uh, EMS One Stop. My guests have been uh, Bryony Gilby and Matt Zabadsky. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.